Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Uh, But tonight we're going to continue our series on the general epistles. And um, I enjoy this type of study so much. Uh, Maybe it's the Bible study teacher in me. Um, But it occurred to me that I would bring my journaling Bible and show you, so to speak, something that I uh, cherish and recommend. I don't know that you can see it, but I have a journaling Bible that I love so much because it uh, gives lines in the margins for me to write notes. Now, if you are of the mindset that you do not write in your Bible, then please disregard what I am about to say. But I just thought it might be helpful maybe to some who are trying to change it up or maybe realize a need for a more intensive or intentional way to study the scripture that I have found a journaling Bible is a great way to do that. Um, I try to record um, sermon notes in the margin as I have room or feel prompted. Um, In a scenario like tonight, I would, if there was a slide with different points, I would try to write those next to the portion of scripture that the person is speaking from. And I have found that that is a way to ensure that I reflect on these things that God is showing to me and speaking to me in different moments. Whereas if you have a separate journal, that, that is fine. That works for you. But I, I just wanted to offer maybe another way for you to keep notes and keep record of what God is speaking into your life. But we have uh, so far studied Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And tonight we will be studying 1st and 2nd Peter and the book of Jude. Now, although they were written clearly by different authors, We've put them together tonight for two reasons. Number one, if you did not know, the book of Jude is one of the shortest uh, books in the Bible, uh, weighing it at only 25 verses long. The second reason is that there are quite a few similarities between the book of 2 Peter and the book of Jude, which we will look into here in a little bit. So let us begin. I hope you're taking notes because, um, well, you're just going to see there are some power-packed verses, specifically here in First and Second Peter, and I may get excited about it. I love the Word of God. I love talking about it, and I hope that you feel that sense of joy and passion stir in your heart as we read lots of scriptures together tonight. So, it may seem obvious as we begin that Simon Peter is the one most scholars credit as the writer of 1st and 2nd Peter. Now, there has been some questioning of this over time, but this claim that it is Simon Peter is supported by early church tradition, and there are many reasons throughout the text that support this fact. Peter's voice, I think it's important for us to have this focus now, is a unique one in Scripture. He was an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. When we're reading the post-Pentecost Peter, if you will, 
it is abundantly clear the difference that the Spirit of God had made in his life. And according to our handbook on the general epistles that we are using as our textbook for this series, Peter was Jesus's chief apostle. He was kind of a big deal. We see his prominence throughout the book of Acts. And so through these two beautifully written letters, it is obvious that the short-fused fishermen had come a mighty long way. And what we are reading are words from the pen of the, the disciple who went from ready to throw down in the Garden of Gethsemane to protect Jesus from being arrested to the guy who denied him to a young servant girl hours later. Yet it was Peter who preached the first message on the birthday of the church. He was a powerful leader and apostle. And these letters provide for us profound revelation and instruction. And I would submit to you that Peter is a very reliable source. Now, it's prudent for us to acknowledge in our study that Peter's audience was a Gentile one. Peter is specific to mention it in these books. He was writing, essentially, to new Christians. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 say, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It could be said that Peter's books comprise an amazing new convert course. We certainly feel that way here at Calvary. We use several verses from these letters in our assimilation classes, specifically in Ministry 201. But I think it's safe to say that Peter was an unrivaled authority on the plan of salvation and the discipleship process. He was not just a disciple himself, but he was a leader, a key leader in a newly formed church. Peter understood conversion and the changes necessary in the life of a believer, specifically a new believer. It was Peter who was sent to share the gospel with the Gentiles for the very first time in Acts chapter 10. Now, we will look at some of those points that he made as we get into the themes of the book. But as Peter is concluding the first letter, he makes a couple of specific references where clarity, I believe, is helpful to us. As we see other writers in the New Testament do, Peter specifically names a few individuals. And here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, he names a man named Silvanus as the one who is delivering the letter that he is writing. Verse 12 says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. 
Now, I find it very interesting that the name Sylvanus is Latin, and it sounds very similar to the Aramaic name Silas. Now, there are probably bells going off in your head, and that is good, because it is quite possible that this Sylvanus was also the man we know as Silas, Paul's companion on his second missionary journey. Paul mentions Sylvanus a few different times in his letters. And so the other reference that I thought was worth clarifying as you look into the book of 1 Peter is the one to Babylon in chapter 5, verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. The she is in reference to the church there in Rome, where Peter was when he wrote these letters. He is essentially saying the church, or she, the church sends its greetings to you. But for those who are familiar with Babylon's involvement in Jewish history, this could be confusing that Peter does not say he's in Rome, but rather Babylon. Peter was not saying that he was in Babylon geographically. We know that at the time that these letters were written, he was in fact in Rome. And most likely these books were written within the last two years of his life we know that he was martyred in Rome. And so uh, an interesting thought to help us consider the world that the apostles lived in and the culture in which they were called to share the gospel, that the apostles positioned themselves in large cities that served as headquarters, if you will, to the churches in the surrounding areas. Now, this was optimal for them and their mission for three reasons that I just want to mention to you for your consideration. It gives us, I think, some very interesting uh, insight. Number one, they had these headquarter churches in these large cities, number one, for the means of transportation. They were near major roads and routes in that ancient world. The second reason was for a means of better communication. They were able to send and receive messages from these prominent locations. And then finally, evangelism. These large cities were more culturally diverse. And we know that diversity has always been the priority and the reality of the church since its very beginning. Amen. Peter says he is writing from Babylon because he is speaking of it in figurative terms. Rome, we know, was in control of that part of the world, and it was the nemesis of the early church. Rome was the great persecutor of the early Christians. Peter here is referencing to the pagan environment he has found himself in. For Rome was the capital of idolatry at that time in the ancient world. And so lastly, I think it's noteworthy that John Mark is the Mark that Peter refers to in verse 13. We know that John Mark was with Peter in Rome around the time of his death. 
What an honor that must have been to a guy like John Mark. He was a blessing of encouragement and support to that elder in the church nearing the end of his life. We know that it was Peter's eyewitness account, if you remember from our study on the Gospels. It was Peter's account that helped Mark write his gospel. So a lot was happening there at the end of Peter's life. And you know what, John Mark, that's not bad for a guy that Paul was ready to kick to the curb and give up on. And we can thank a great man like Barnabas for saying, don't give up on John Mark. And so this brings us to themes for the book of 1 Peter, and then we will look at 2 Peter and Jude together. For our consideration, I present to you three key themes for 1 Peter. These are by no means exhaustive. There are many more. There are many more verses to support the themes that I have chosen, and I encourage you to read 1 Peter as soon as you can, for it is powerful. All right, the first theme is persecution. Again, he's writing from Rome. Verses 3 through 9 of the first chapter say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through for salvation, through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Pretty amazing words from just a common fisherman. I want to look now at chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Again, this theme of persecution. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What promise, what revelation coming from the loose canon, so to speak, of the 12 disciples. Truly, Peter had become what Jesus renamed him, Cephas, a stone, stable, willing to endure because Peter understood the reward that await him and us someday. The second theme is that of Christian conduct. Again, Peter is speaking to new Christians. 
chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What a powerful charge to us. Chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The third theme is salvation. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Consider Peter's perspective in pinning this powerful revelation. He wasn't just a disciple. He wasn't just a powerful church leader, but he too was a recipient of the power and grace and life-changing spirit of God himself. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wow, I need to hear that right now. I don't know about you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter admonishes us through these themes in his first letter to trust the Lord. Even in the midst of suffering and persecution, don't be surprised by it. For as Christ suffered, so we also will suffer. Peter admonishes us to live obediently. To walk away from that old life. He speaks of it in terms of our own ignorance before. Now we know to live differently. We are now called to be holy as he is holy. And finally that we can endure our present trials. Because of the hope of deliverance that we have someday. 
And now let's move on to the book of 2 Peter. This book was probably written shortly before Peter's death. And for the sake of time, I just want to point out three key points in Peter's second letter, and then we will move quickly to Jude. One of the first things that Peter seeks to establish with his readers is the validity of scriptures. Now, this was due to the fact that the church was being infiltrated with false teachers at this time. We saw this urgent need in the church when we looked at the epistles that John wrote as well. What's interesting is in the case of what Peter is addressing, we do not know specifically who. Remember, John called out somebody specifically. We had a better understanding of exactly what was happening. But what we know is that there were teachers who were teaching things that were false, and they were also people who were immoral in their lifestyle. And Peter is letting the church know this is unacceptable. The authority of Scripture is certain in what we must cling to. And so this is the common link between 2 Peter and the book of Jude. Both books are written in defense of scripture and the truth that these churches had been established upon. Peter begins so beautifully, verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 1, by comparing God's word to a light shining in a dark place. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. That idea that the scripture stands alone until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. The second key point in the book of 2 Peter is found in chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. These are verses that we read in Ministry 201. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them... You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is very important to us as believers. That Peter is essentially saying, keep growing, keep going, 
in your relationship with God. You've experienced the power of salvation. You're becoming established in the church, but that is not where it all stops. It's where it all begins. Keep adding to all of the things that you are learning and experiencing, the things that you have been taught. Add to it and continue to grow. Peter is essentially saying in this last verse, verse 8 that we just read, that if you are unfruitful, if you are not growing rather, then you are unfruitful as a believer. Now, I think this is especially significant coming from the heart of Peter because Peter was standing there the day that Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was not bearing fruit. I can't imagine the impression that that left on the disciples. Of course, initially, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. But I can assure you that making this reference now, Peter knew full well that Jesus was saying, I don't want you to be like the Pharisees who have just limited their experience and their knowledge of me to a list of do's and don'ts, a checklist, if you will. But you have got to keep growing. And you grow by adding things, not just for yourself, but things that benefit and extend into the life of others. We must be fruitful in our relationship with God. And then the third and final point for us in 2 Peter is the return of Jesus Christ. But more on this on Sunday, should the Lord tarry. Peter's appeal here, though, was in light of Jesus' return, we must continue to grow and make ourselves ready. And so as we will see on Sunday, Lord willing, Second Peter 3, Peter talks about the coming of the Lord. And in verse 18, I'm going to begin actually with verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow. Because you know Jesus will return, you must continue to grow. You must Oxano, that is the Greek word there. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we move quickly now to the brief book of Jude. Jude was the brother of James. And this means that Jude would have been the youngest half-brother of Jesus. And as you recall, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Now, I think it's amazing if you are looking at the book of Jude right now, it is amazing to me that in Jude's introduction of himself, he refers to himself only as a servant of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I think if I had been the sibling of the Lord Jesus I would have had to have mentioned it somewhere. I'm not a fan of name dropping. In fact, that is one of my biggest pet peeves in life. I don't like it when people do that. But I don't know. If Jesus was my family member, if he was my sibling, I, I think I would have given in to the temptation to say, by the way, if my credibility is questioned in any way, 
Jesus was my brother. I mean, come on. But no, Jude was too cool for that. All he wanted you and I to know was that he served the Lord Jesus as we are trying to do. And I think that's pretty amazing to understand that after Jesus' ascension from the earth, his family was, uh, were active members and leaders in the church. And so because of the similarities between June and Second Peter, scholars believe that Peter may have used Jude's letter as a reference for his letter, or that the reverse could be true. Jude uh, referred to Peter's letter. And so really there makes no difference for the purpose of our study. But what I want to highlight for us is the partnership and the accountability with which the early church leaders operated. Throughout the epistles, we see the intentional efforts of the writers to safeguard truth and defend the divinely inspired scriptures. Consider with me Peter's defense in chapter 1, verses 20 through 21 of Second Peter. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. Likewise, Jude admonishes the readers to stay true to what they had been taught by the apostles. Verse 17 says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these verses in Jude and 2 Peter Provide clear safeguards for us as we seek to study and correctly apply the scripture. Number one, scripture is not to be understood in isolation from other scriptures. Number two, scripture is not exclusive to the time and place in which they were written. And number three, scripture is inspired and interpreted through the Holy Spirit and not through individuals. So important for us to know and understand that. And so it's crucial as we are coming to a close for our app time that we connect the dots here. Peter and Jude are writing to believers to warn them of spiritual deception. Peter refers to the authority of the inspired word of God that it was not given by individuals on their own merit, but rather God spoke through them. Jude then warns to stay faithful to the teaching of the apostles, those who were taught by Jesus Christ himself. It was Jesus that warned that false teachers and spiritual deception would be characteristic of the end times. And the only way that you and I can protect ourselves from such deception is to stay committed to this book right here. Alone is the inspired word of God. And everything that we believe and everything that we profess in our lives and actions should be found within its pages. Amen. We're going to do something a little bit different for app time and maybe even uh, have a, a briefer version of it than we have previously. But I wanted to mix it up a little bit, get you thinking about the hope that we have of eternity 
with Jesus and the possible opportunity to meet some of these people that we are talking about tonight. And so I've got a would you rather question for you to consider tonight. Would you rather talk with or interview Peter, the apostle, or would you rather talk with and potentially interview Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ? So let's just take a couple minutes Think about it. If you want to text somebody, talk to somebody in the room with you, would you rather talk to Peter or Jude? Here we go. Well, I hope you enjoyed that consideration and just a reminder of the hope that we have beyond this planet is especially meaningful to us right now. And so as we conclude our time at Growth University tonight, I want to read to you one of the most beautiful doxologies in all of Scripture, and it is the way that Jude concludes Uh, His book, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. What a powerful scripture for us to conclude with tonight. I look forward to being with you online this Sunday morning. I hope to see you in the parking lot for prayer on Sunday night. I love and miss you so much. I pray for you daily for God's peace, his protection, and his provision in your life right now. We're going to make it through this. This is just a season. There is a reason for all of this, and God knows, and we trust him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, Calvary. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for joining us tonight.
This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.